This is kind of one of those things where moms, I mean, that, that's just stuff you're never going to say, right? It's just, it's just not going to happen. And, and when it does, it's like this one moment where you go, whoa, they actually did the laundry and I never even asked them. This is amazing. So I want to, I know we've said this several times, but seriously want to tell all of you happy Mother's Day. This is an awesome day where we can celebrate mothers and we recognize that Mother's Day can be hard in so many different ways because some of us have, have lost our mothers, some of us didn't have mothers around and those kinds of things. But we also want to acknowledge the fact that this is an awesome opportunity for us to honor mothers and motherhood. And, and womanhood. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us. This is an opportunity for us to celebrate and to do that. Uh, but also I want to jump in and, and just kind of talk for a second. I don't know about you, but it feels like over this last few, I'd say months or so, it feels like we're starting to climb out of the pandemic. Uh, but it's still very much there on our consciousness, isn't it? Uh, so I did a wedding yesterday, and, and my son, they were looking at this little place where they had all these little prizes and toys and everything, and there's these bouncy balls in there, and there's one that has all these spikes that come out of the ball, and my son chose that one because he said, Dad, look, it looks like the coronavirus. <laughs> I was like, great, that is awesome. Are you kidding me? We're choosing bouncy balls that look like the coronavirus now. But as you think about... The coronavirus. And as you kind of think about that stuff, this is something maybe we don't think about. We think about all the stuff that it's caused. But maybe one thing that we haven't thought about is the size of the coronavirus. So I was looking this up because I was kind of curious this last week. And, uh, and they had a mathematical biologist who they gave the task of figuring out how big the coronavirus was and then how massive it was if you added all the coronavirus viruses together in the entire planet like how big would it be how how big would that mass be so i don't know if you know this but i and i, I just learned all this this week but the coronavirus is actually a thousand times thinner than a human strand of hair think about how thin your hair is one strand it's a thousand times thinner than that okay it's in other words, it's tiny, right? Like, that's pretty small. And then they gave this mathematical biologist to figure out what the total mass would be for all the coronavirus in the entire world, in the planet. And you know what he came up with? He said that if you added up all the viruses in all the world and everywhere that it's at, including people that, you know, are infected or will be infected, all that kind of stuff, he said, I'll add all that up and it would fit in one Coke can. One can of Coke with room to spare. All that to say, the coronavirus is small. We don't think about it. And yet, I think we all recognize it has affected our world, our life, just a little bit, wouldn't you say? Anybody here not heard about the pandemic yet? Right. It has affected us greatly, right? And it's something, but the truth is it's hidden. It's not something that we think about. We, we think that it's kind of tiny and kind of small and insignificant until... It changes our world. I thought that last March when I decided that, okay, maybe we need to cancel, you know, church services. And I thought, man, this is going to be a blip on the screen, right? And then all of a sudden, March Madness went down. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, this is serious. And so why do I bring that up? Well, today I want to talk about something that is also kind of hidden in our lives. 
something that we don't think about all that often, but it affects our daily life massively. It affects our decisions. It affects how we think about things, about people, about God. And it's something, but it's something that we just don't think about all that often. So today, I want to talk about something that I'm just going to call your inner story. Oh, how fun is that going to be? Your inner story. And, and we're going we're gonna to kind of get into that. And, and if you don't know kind of what I mean by inner story, don't worry. I'll, I'll kind of explain that in a second. But I want to talk about our inner story today and what fuels the tank when it comes to our inner story. Okay? So before I get into that, though, I want to say one more time, welcome. Glad to have you here. Some of you I haven't seen in over a year. And so it's awesome to see you guys. Thank you for being here. I know you guys, and I get this a lot, like, yay, it's so good to see you. And they're like, well, we've seen you like every week. Well, that's awesome, but I didn't get to see you. I got to see that camera right there. I'm looking at it right now. I love that camera. I don't, actually. It's a love-hate relationship. I'm glad we have the technology, right? But I didn't get to see you, and so it's good to see you. But I just want you to know whether you're online watching or listening or whether you're here in the room, this is just a good place to be. And I'm so glad you're here. This is a safe place for you, no matter where you are in your journey with God. And we, this is a safe place for you to genuinely seek who God is and who Jesus is and who he should be and can be in your life. And so thank you for being here. So, the inner story. So we started a, a new series last week that is simply called Gages. If you have your hand out there, you know because it's on the front. So we just started this series last week, and basically what we're doing is very simple. We are looking at different aspects of our lives, different areas of our life. As I said, today is going to be the inner story tank of our life, and we all have gauges. We all either, maybe, you know, in your, in your life, you might be like full, your tank is full, like life is going great now, it's chugging along, and, and things are good, relationships are good. Or you might be here, and some of your tanks are empty. Maybe they're kind of, they've kind of leaked out a little bit. Maybe this last year with the pandemic and the coronavirus, it's kind of leaked a lot of your tanks out. And it's been hard to find that energy. No matter where our gauges, but we're talking about our gauges in this series. And for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about certain specific aspects of our lives and where the gauges are at. And so today, as I mentioned, is your inner story. So what is your inner story? It's something that you don't think about all that often, but it's something that's running right now. You, your inner story is running right now. You're thinking about what I'm saying. You're thinking about what you want to eat for lunch or, you know, hoping that your husband booked lunch or has the grill ready or whatever it is, right, for Mother's Day. And, and you're thinking, you have this inner story, and you're running in through who you are and what you're thinking about and all the things that are going on. And we have this inner story. The inner story is what you believe in the moment about yourself and your situation. That's what your inner story is. It's what you believe about yourself, about who you are, about your worth in any given situation, in a moment, and also long term. It's your inner story. It's the, it's the story that you're telling yourself. It's the story that's going on in your head all the time. And so I want to talk about this inner story and what feeds our inner story. What feeds how we think about, what we believe about ourselves. What feeds that? There are two main sources. There are a lot of sources that we could talk about, but I want to give you two main sources today. There are two sources that fill 
or destroy our inner story. Okay? So the first one, the first source, and you probably would have guessed this, is other people. Other people affect how you think about yourself a lot. And so a lot of people, they kind of can do this. And the truth is, we don't like to admit this, but we tend to look at other people superficially, don't we? How many of you would say, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many would you say that you know that you make judgments pretty quickly? All right, have you seen like the psychologists and the psychiatrists and, and they kind of talk about this, this aspect that when you walk into a room, let's say you go into an interview and the person who is interviewing you, they will make a snap judgment about you in the first like two seconds when you walk in. Do you realize that? How wonderful is that, by the way? Right? How, how great is that? That you can walk in and you can prepare for all the interview questions and you can be all ready to go. And really what's going to happen is they're actually going to judge who you are when you walk through the door. Oh, man. Like, get your shoulders back, right? And get there. Because, like, they're, they're figuring out who you are right now. But the truth is we kind of look at the outward appearance more than I think we realize. In fact, there's an example of this in the Bible, in God's Word. So I want to take you to it. So let me set up the context. So there's this guy named Samuel. Samuel is a prophet. He's a prophet, which means he speaks on behalf of God. God speaks to him, and then he speaks to the behalf of God. All right? So Samuel is a prophet, and God goes to Samuel. He says, Samuel, uh, Saul is no longer going to be king of Israel. And so I need you to go to this certain family. The father's name is Jesse. And so you're going to go to this family, and one of his sons is going to be the next king of Israel. All right? And so he wants Samuel to go there, and they had this little thing where they had this oil, and they would pour the oil over your head, which basically signified and said, God has anointed you to do this, whatever this thing is. In this case, it was a pretty big deal. Samuel was going to pour oil over the person anoint the person that God had anointed to become the next king of Israel okay now the problem is Samuel doesn't know which son it is God doesn't tell him that by the way isn't that funny how God does that sometimes like God says Samuel I want you to go and I want you to figure out who the next king of Israel is and 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 God could have just said Samuel just so you know it's David (laughs) like just so you know when you get there find the guy named David okay thanks God Cool, cool. And he gets there and he would ask, like, where's David? But he didn't, God didn't do that. God sent Samuel to this family and said, figure it out. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Lord. This is wonderful. It's like a search and find. <laughs> right? And so he gets to the family and the first thing that happens is the oldest brother walks out. His name is Eliab. By the way, if you're looking for names, moms, Eliab. There you go. I gave you a good one. Eliab walks out and Samuel has this snap judgment about Eliab. And I want to read it. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. Listen to what happens. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. That's it. He walks in and he looks at Eliab and he's like, whoa, now that guy's a king. That guy's awesome. 
You know, I, here's, here's what, in my mind, I'm like, this guy walks in, and he's got muscles rippling through every pore, right? Like, I mean, he just walks in, and he does this, and he commands this presence. I, I don't know what Eliab looked like, but whatever he looked like, Samuel looks at him, and he goes, wow, that guy's a king. I think that guy can take me, <laughs> right? And he says, man, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He looks the part. He's awesome. Notice a couple of things. In the scripture, it doesn't say that Samuel said this out loud. It says that he thought this. He saw Eliab and he thought about this in his mind. In other words, what was going on? Samuel was giving Eliab his inner story. He was dictating what he thought, based on how Eliab looked, what he thought should happen. But he never said it out loud. Did you know that people can actually influence and dictate your inner story just by how they think about you? How they view you? They don't even have to say anything. They can look at you a certain way. In fact, you guys know this. You guys know this is true. Have you ever had somebody look at you and you could just tell they were sizing you up? Right? Have you ever had somebody look at you and you can tell they are not happy you're in the room? How good of a feeling is that, by the way? Have you ever looked at, seen somebody in the room and they look at you and you know, like, they're trying to figure something out about you? Right? We know this. They don't have to say it out loud. We know that they're dictating a story to us. Samuel was doing that to Eliab. I don't know if, if Samuel was like, wow, Eliab, you're awesome. You work out? <laughs> You must work out, right? I don't know what he said to him, but, but he didn't say that. He just had this thought. And then the second thing is that sometimes people will give you a good story, good inner story to follow. They'll, they'll put a, a good story upon you. I mean, Samuel thinks, Eliab, you're king. You're going to be the next king. I think that's awesome. But the problem was it was the wrong story. So just because somebody gives you a good story doesn't mean it's the right story. And so what happens in this moment? Well, God has to intervene, right? Because Samuel's like, Eliab's king. <laughs> I can tell. That guy is awesome. And God has to kind of turn the corner a little bit. So listen to what God says the very next verse, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. In other words, he's not supposed to be king. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at, what does it say there? The heart. The Lord looks at the heart. We sometimes discount this, I think, a lot. We look at somebody and say, ooh, they look the part. They've got the thing. They've got, you know, whatever it is. They can do this. They can do that. And what God says is we tend to judge by the outward appearance because that's a lot of what we have to go on, isn't it? And what God is saying to Samuel, what God is saying to you and I, he's saying don't judge them by their outward appearance. Judge by who they are, their intentions, who they really need to be, who I created them to be. They have a story that I've designed them for. In fact... If you think about the person who is supposed to be king, you know what happens the next in the story? 
So what happens next is Eliab is not king, right? And so Jesse, the father, he brings out the next oldest son and, and brings him out. And Samuel's like, what about this? And God says, nope. Okay, let's, okay, go down the line. Next one comes in. Yeah? Nope. Okay, here, next one. Yeah, nope. And they keep going through this, and none of the sons, they find none of the sons are to be the next king. And, and Samuel, I'm sure, is like, okay, God, what are we doing? <laughs> like, I'm hungry. I'm ready to eat. Because after this, they're going to go in, they're going to eat. Right? And so Samuel's like, man, I'm hungry, God. Let's, where, where's this guy? <laughs> and so finally, they get to the end. There's no more sons. And, and, and Samuel's like, well, where's everybody? Do you have any more sons? And the father's like, well, yeah, there is one more. His name's David. He's out tending the, the flocks of sheep. I mean, I'll go get him, I guess. He's the youngest, you know. How many of you are the youngest in here? <laughs> you get a raw deal, right? My son always think, uh, gets the raw deal. He's the youngest, right, baby, the family. David comes in in front of Samuel, and God says, that's the Here's the point I want to make from this. Notice that everybody else, every human being there, had judged David to not be the next king of Israel. Did you notice that? His father had a story for David that was less than being king. His brothers had a story for David that was less than being king. Samuel, the prophet of God, who's supposed to know these things, had a story for David that was less than becoming king of Israel. But God had a different story for him, didn't he? And I wonder, as we kind of sit here and think about this, especially on Mother's Day, how many of us are sitting here and, and really, if we were going to be honest, we've allowed other people to dictate our story. How many of you have allowed people in your life, in your past, to dictate your story? Who you are, what you believe about yourself. How many of you are still believing lies that a parent told you decades ago that you were never going to measure up, that you could never, never be this, you could never be that? Listen, in a room of this size, as many people as come to our church, I know we have many who probably dealt with that. How many of you are still believing lies of that bully in middle school or high school that, that treated you awful and said some things to you, and you still, even though you're like 10 years, 15, 30, 40 years past, and you can still see that person's face, and you can still hear those words in the back of your heart, in the back of your mind, telling you, you are worthless, you don't make it, you're not popular enough, you're not good enough looking, you're not good at sports, you're not whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Those people that gave you a story that's less than the one that God gave to you. In fact, I want to just take a moment On Mother's Day here, and this is not going to be completely true, but moms in the room, if I was going to be honest, I think, and I'm, I'm not a mom, 
right? That's obvious. I'm not a mom. I have an amazing wife who's an amazing mom. I have my mom who's an awesome mom who's here today in the room. I'm blessed by that. I'm not a mom. But can I be honest? As much as I work with people, what I see is moms, you're really hard on yourselves. You really are sometimes. You beat yourselves up with your own stories because you try to be perfect and amazing for your kids. And there's, there's no wrong in that. But the wrong is when you fail because every one of us fails and then you, you really beat yourself up over it. And, and can I be honest? Can I be just really straight with you? I think that one of the issues is that you compare yourself to other moms all the time. That Pinterest thing, oh my. <laughs> that thing is a beast. I am so glad I am not on Pinterest often. <laughs> I, every now and then I look because some, something comes to my phone. I'm like, why am I looking at this? Why do I care that somebody made a cake for whatever? Like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I love it. It's awesome. I love Pinterest, right? I'm sorry. I'm digging in, right? But, but, but let's be honest. I think that we tend to, as people, and so mothers, this is, this is for you, but this is also for all of us. I think that we need to stop comparing ourselves to everybody else. Because, can I, you know what that's going to do? And I've already said, I've said this so many times, but we need to hear this. You know what comparing yourself to other people is going to do every single time? Here's what it's going to do. It's going to push you in one of two camps, depending on who you're comparing yourself to. It's either going to compare yourself to somebody that you think you're better than, and so it's going to give you a false sense of like, ooh, I'm not as bad as he is or she is. And it's going to give you this false sense of like, woo. But you know what? That's false. You know why it's false? Because it's not what God is saying to you. It's how you're comparing yourself to somebody else. And you say, my bar is higher than her bar. <laughs> I would never let my kids do that. Or, this is what happens more often, we compare ourselves to somebody over here. We see them do this thing on Pinterest, right? And then we try it. You've seen the memes. <laughs> this is the Pinterest version. This was mine, Right? And we compare ourselves, and you know what it does? It makes you feel bad about yourself, because why? It's false, because you're comparing yourself to the wrong standard. God never said we should compare ourselves to each other. He said, compare yourself to me. Jesus is the standard. God is our standard. And he gives us the story that we need to have. In fact, um, Mothers in the Room, I, I, I came across this verse, and this is a chapter that I've read many times, but it's Proverbs 31. And ladies in the room, maybe you've read this before, uh, because it's a, powerful, just, it's a powerful set of words that describes a godly woman, a woman who is following Jesus. And I just want to read like three verses, 25, 26, and 30. I want to read what it says. It says, she is clothed with strength and dignity. And she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. 
This is the story we need to hear. You don't need to measure up to any other person. Can I just tell you that? You don't need to measure up to any other person in this world, in this life. You know who you need to shoot for because it's the only thing you need to worry about? God. God is the one, the standard that you shoot for. Because he's the one that will come back and say, I love you, my son, my daughter, my child. I created you, I made you for amazing purposes. Do you believe it? And I think the same problem that Samuel and David had, especially David, is people insert their story into our story. They tell us what our story is supposed to be. And what God says is, don't listen to those stories. Listen to the story that I've given to you. So the first source that we tend to have is other people. Other people insert their story into our story, and it makes us believe things about ourselves that are not true, that are just not true. They're false. And so the second source, and this is going to be one of those that we all know is true, but it's going to be harder to hear. The second source for our inner story sometimes, and sometimes it really leads us off, is ourselves. It's ourselves. We sometimes tell ourselves our own story, and it goes against God's story. Now, a lot of people have this problem. Moses had this problem. And I've told this story a couple of times before, uh, and we've preached on this, and I'm not going to preach out of this, but I want to share a moment. So God goes to Moses because God has designed Moses, given him his life, so that he can do this great thing. And this great thing was to free the entire nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Like, that's what Moses was there for. And so God shows up in this burning bush. Remember the whole burning bush thing, right? The the bush is burning, but it doesn't burn up. So it's this really cool miracle. And Moses looks over and he sees this burning bush. He's like, wow, that bush is burning, but it's not burning. Well, that's cool. So he goes over there and all of a sudden God starts speaking to Moses out of the bush. All right. By the way, wouldn't you be freaked out by that? Like just, I I don't, even the fact that the bush is burning, but it's not burning up. Like that's weird in and of itself. But then all of a sudden God speaks to me out of the bush. Whoa. You know, like this is crazy. And so God starts speaking to Moses from the bush, right? And he's basically telling Moses, Moses, I need you to go back to Egypt. I know you're a felon there. You're you're a criminal because you... You killed one of the Egyptians to save one of your people from being murdered. Okay, I I get it. But I need you to go back to Egypt and I want you to confront the Pharaoh and I need you to help free your people from slavery. And every time God said this, you know what Moses did? He came up with an excuse as to why he can't do it. That's what Moses did. He said, well, Lord, what if they ask me who you are and I don't know your name, you know? Like all this kind of stuff. And I want to read for you. He does this like five or six times. Moses gives an excuse. By the way, mothers in the room, have you ever heard excuses from your children? (laughs) Oh, man. This is how God must have felt, right? God is saying, no, Moses, I designed you for this. Like, I'm with you. You're good. Let's go. And Moses is like, well, I just, you know, I don't know your name. And if they ask how this all happened, like, it's going to be awkward. I'm not going to know what to call you, you know, and he, he, he just keeps giving these excuses. So now I want to get to the last time where Moses says, or where God says to Moses, 
I need you to go. Seriously, I need you to go to Egypt and free the people from slavery. Listen to what Moses says. This is like his sixth time of giving an excuse. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, listen to how God responds to him. You can tell God is kind of like getting angry here. The Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, do you know what God's saying there? God's saying to Moses, he's saying, don't you realize I'm the one that gave you your story? I know you're not good with words. I know that. You're talking to God, right? This is, this is, this is like me, you know, this is hilarious. This is like me, you know, in front of like Michael Jordan or LeBron James and being like, you know, I, I've been watching you play for a while. And I think if you did like a little crossover from the left to the right and you just, you, if you just got a little quicker step this way, man, you could be awesome. And he says, who are you? <laughs> oh, well, I, I played basketball in high school. <laughs> I made the freshman team. <laughs> I'm awesome. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, anyway, that's, I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> I mean, this is Moses telling God about who he is. God says, I know. I made you. <laughs> like, I get it, Moses. I know you're not good with words. And so, uh, and, then, and then it says, now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. God is saying, I know you're not good with words. I'm going to give you the words. Can you trust me? You have an amazing story, Moses. I've given it to you. Now I just need you to believe in it. And then see what it says. Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. You know why he doesn't want to go? Because Moses believes a story, an inner story that he's telling himself, he doesn't want to go. He doesn't believe he's worthy. He doesn't believe he's strong enough. He doesn't believe he has the right words. And God says, I made you who you are. You're good. You just have to trust in me. Trust that I'm here for you, with you. How many times have we shut God's story down in our life because we're telling ourselves we can't do it. How many times, I know this is going to get, I'm digging in here. And I get it, I understand. It's okay that we don't, you know, have this confidence yet. But, but how many of you have stopped and not prayed for somebody because you felt like you're not a good, good enough prayer? You don't need to be a good prayer. You know what God wants? He wants genuine. He wants authentic. Trust me when I say I've heard a lot of different kinds of prayers. I've heard people that have taken that step of faith and prayed out loud and they had no clue even how to start or how to end or how to say in the middle, nothing. But they just said it just did it there are things this is what I believe fully there are things that God wants to do in you and through you 
But the key is you have to believe that the inner story that God gave you is valuable, is worth it. To lean into it. Don't believe lies that other people have told you. Don't believe lies that you're telling yourself. Because why did, why did God even give us life? Why did Jesus come to this earth? Actually, Jesus tells us this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He's telling a story. You remember the story of the good shepherd? Where he says, I am the good shepherd, you are the sheep. He's talking about, about people, about you and I, that we're sheep. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to watch over you. I'm here to give you a purpose and a peace in your life. And there's this moment where he describes Satan or anybody who goes against God. And then he describes himself. And I want to read that. John 10, 10, he says this. He says, the thief, which could be Satan or the devil or anybody against God, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, there's a reason here at Northridge that our motto, our phrase that you see, it's, you'll see it on the back of our apparel, right? Back on the back of our shirts. Bill, you're wearing a Northridge shirt, right? Look at the back of Bill's shirt. All right, you'll see it. All right, and we have, we have Northridge Church, but then we see it on everything. You see it on the front, you see it on the back, you see it on the website, you see it on the handout, you see it everywhere. It says what? It says live full of life. You know why we say that? Because we know that the biggest story that God has given to you is that he wants you to understand and know that Jesus did not come just to give us a good life, but to give us a full life. That doesn't mean in length of time, that means in how we experience life and what we do in our life. That we live full of life. Full of the kind of life and story that God has designed for us. So let me just ask this quick question. Those of you that are mechanics in the room, you're going to know the answer to this. But let me ask you this. Do you know what would happen if a person who drives a diesel engine truck or vehicle... It's the engine is designed for diesel gasoline, diesel fuel. And let's say they pull up to the punt and, uh, pump and they, you know, maybe they, they're distracted, maybe they're not paying attention, maybe they're in a hurry, whatever the case is. But they grab that pump, right, and they, just, they do the card thing, and they, they throw the thing in, and they pump the gas, and they realize, or maybe they don't realize, but either way, they put the wrong gas in. They put regular unleaded gas into their diesel engine vehicle. Ooh, not good, right? What's going to happen? Well, there's two scenarios of what's going to happen in that case. Scenario one. If the person realizes before they turn the engine on, if they realize what they did, that they made a mistake, that they have the wrong fuel in the wrong engine, Right? The engine was made for diesel, but we have regular unleaded gasoline in there. If they realize before and they don't turn the, the engine on, they don't drive the vehicle, then you know what they can do? They can have the vehicle towed, have the tank flushed and emptied, and then refill it with diesel, and they're good to go. They're not going to cause any damage. It's going to be okay. That's scenario one. But scenario two is if the person doesn't realize that they filled the tank with the wrong gas, 
By the way, that's going to take a lot, right? Because the diesel pump and the regular gas, like they make the nozzles different. So that's going to be really hard. Like you're, the nozzle's going to fall out of the regular gas. So you're going to have to really be distracted. But let's say that they do and they don't realize and so they put the pump back in and they start the car up and they start driving. What's going to happen? Well, regular gasoline is far more combustible than diesel. And so you know what's going to happen? What's going to happen is that vehicle is going to start sputtering. It's not going to run well. And then after just a few miles, it's not going to take very long, but the engine is going to start to be ruined and eventually that, that vehicle is going to grind to a halt and they've destroyed the engine completely. Here's why I bring this up. I wonder how many of us, how often, we have driven our life, run our engine, lived each day, running on the wrong fuel. Running on the fuel that somebody else <clears throat> gave to us. Running on the fuel that we've been telling ourselves. Running on the fuel that some bully back in school told us, or whatever the case is. Or maybe it's, it's somebody in, in our neighborhood, even right now, that you always feel like you don't measure up to them. How often have we been running on the wrong fuel in our story? The thing that we've been telling ourselves in our head. So what I want you to think about and consider, and you have this on the back of your sheet, you don't have to do it right now, but you have a gauge. Some, some of you are here, and I believe that your inner story, like you believe the best about yourself. You know God has given you value, your worth, you, you, you're feeling good, you know how valuable you are. And so your tank is full. You could put the gauge maybe over by the, the full side of the tank, and that's awesome. But maybe some of us, in here, your inner story, you've told yourself or somebody else has told you that you're never going to measure up. You're not good enough. Let me tell you that those are lies. God has given you a story. He's made you and designed you for a reason, for a purpose. And that purpose and that reason is to follow God and to follow who he is. So you might say here, you might be here and you might say, I'm not worthy. And you know what God says? God says, you are worthy because of me. You might be here and you might say, I'm damaged. And God says, no, you're not. You're forgiven. You might be here and you might say, I'm lost. I'm hopeless. And God says, no, you're not. You're loved. And there's always hope because I'm involved. I'm with you. So on this day, when I think sometimes we struggle with our inner story, the feelings, the emotions that are going on inside of us, let me encourage you. Whatever other people say, whatever you're telling yourself, remember that God says, God says, you are a child of God. I love you. You're worth it. I died for you. All you have to do is follow me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the fact that you love us completely. And Lord, I would just ask if there's anybody here, and this is 
these are the times when we sometimes put on a good face and, and our inner story is maybe going a little bit wild. It's the moments, Lord, when we're sitting at a table and, and maybe a friend or a family member says something and we take it the wrong way and then we begin to play this inner story in our heads about ourselves and what they think about us or maybe they don't like us or maybe they, maybe they think we are not right or whatever the case is. And we play these, these games in our head and we sometimes have a hard time getting out of our own heads. Lord, if there's anybody here who is believing lies that somebody else told them, lies that they've told themselves, I pray against lies and I pray for the truth. And that truth is that you love us, that you died for us, that you forgive us. And all we need to do is believe it. Believe in the story that you have given to us because you say, you say we are loved. You say that, that you're strong and that we're strong enough because you're strong in us. Help us to believe the story that you have given to us, not the story that somebody else gave to us or the one that we've tried to give to ourselves. Help us to follow you and follow your story because you say we are loved. I pray this and I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.